0: Really glad to be here this morning. The last couple of days, uh, I spent the last few days with uh, about 40 church planters who were starting about 40 new churches uh, on the West Coast. And so I'm a part of a team of people who spends time just training and coaching those individuals. And, uh, And so it was an amazing thing. Every time I do that, every time I'm with that group of people, I just come back reminded of just how powerful the church is. And just the ability that we have as a church to influence not just individual lives, but also to shape cities and to shape communities around us. And so, had a couple of really exciting days. And then last night, I was driving um, back into Portland, and uh, as I came through downtown, and I came through the tunnel, and I was on Highway 26, and I sort of broke out over the hill. For the first time in several weeks, all of a sudden, it kind of dawned on me and hit me, I'm home. And, uh, and it was kind of a cool thing. And I was like, all right, it's starting to feel like home already. Yeah, it's really good. Um, even though I'm sleeping in my friend's guest bedroom, it still feels like home. And so it's been really good. Um, if you were here last week, then you know that we started a new series called Eucharistia. Eucharistia is the Greek word that's translated thanksgiving or gratitude in the New Testament. In fact, um, Eucharistia is where we get the word Eucharist which is synonymous with communion. And at our Thanksgiving morning service, our communion service, I'm going to unpack more of that connection between those two words at that time. But if you were here last week, you know that we're talking about gratitude. And our hope in this series is that we could stir up gratitude, that we would become more grateful people, that we would experience more thankfulness in our lives. And we talked about doing that for two particular reasons. Um, First of all, and we mentioned this last Sunday, that if you are a grateful person, there are very tangible benefits of that in our lives. Um, There are relational benefits that we talked about last week. There are um, emotional benefits. Our mental health is better if we're grateful people. Um, There's all sorts of physical benefits. In fact, I just want to clarify one because I think there was a, a rumor swirling this last week that I said you could eat everything you want through the holidays, and as long as you give thanks, you won't gain weight. I didn't say that. But there are physical benefits, right? We actually saw last week that impulse control is changed when we are grateful people. So there are these real tangible effects of gratitude in our lives, very, very real-time things that it shapes in us. But what we also saw last week, and I want to remind us of, is that in the same way that those things are benefit those beneficial, gratitude is also elusive. Because of the culture that we live in. We live in a culture that's always looking for more. We're always striving for what's next. We're always being told by our culture, by media, by advertising that we don't have enough. And because of that, we find ourselves in this constant cycle of dissatisfaction. And we're always looking for something or someone else to satisfy us. And so because of that, gratitude begins to leak out of our lives. It's very difficult to continue in a grateful place appreciating what we have when we're always being shown what we don't have. Are you with me on this? And so last week what we began to do is just return to a sense of gratitude by reminding ourselves very specifically of the generosity of God. And one of the things we talked about was this idea that generosity, very real, life-changing generosity, emerges when you and I become aware of God's generosity towards us. That when you and I start to see with a deep sense of awareness how good God has been to us, when we own it, when we sing songs like the one we sang this morning, and it comes from a place inside of our being, that there is a deep gratitude that arises when we see the generosity of God. So last week we started talking about the first of three things that we're talking about relating to God's generosity. The first one last week was God's God's presence with us God's generous presence being with us We felt like that was a great place to start because it's probably the most significant form of his generosity This week we want to talk about the generosity of God's provision And as we dive into the idea of provision we start thinking about physical things and things that happen to us every day um, I want to I want to just address a warped perspective that a lot of us carry with us in our day and age And it's defined by a very particular word and that word is the word scarcity um, scarcity is a pervasive way of approaching or viewing the world that is prevalent in our psychology today. Um, as scarcity essentially it comes from the word scarce, it means that there's a, a lack of resources. Being a person that lives with scarcity means that we move through our days with this fundamental belief that there isn't enough to go around. Um, scarcity means you and I go through our, our weeks, our months, our years sort of wondering, will there be enough? Uh, today, retirement, uh, retirement planners, financial planners, they like to leverage scarcity when they ask questions like, will you have enough money to retire? That sort of taps into something deep inside of our psyche, right, that says, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. I don't know if there is enough, right? We live with a deep sense of scarcity. In fact, um, scarcity is why Costco works, okay? Some of you remember the early days of Costco, and I'll remind you of this, but um, by the way, I'm not talking about the two pounds of peanut butter, uh, you know, the giant jugs of peanut butter that you can get there. There's another part of scarcity that relates to Costco. Um, Years ago, I was reading an article. It was an interview with the CEO of the founder, one of the founders of Costco. And he was describing a phenomenon that um, they, they sort of stumbled upon that actually became a part of their business model. In the early days, when Costco was just beginning, they couldn't afford to really guarantee a supply chain. And so there were certain items that they would acquire, and they would get like a a lot of them, a run of them. And then there was no guarantee that they would ever get them again. And so they would put these things in their store, and people would come in for the giant jug of peanut butter, or, you know, marshmallow filling, or whatever it is that we need in giant quantities. And they would see these items that they had gotten for a short period of time and they would buy them, and then they'd tell their friends about them, and their friends would go to get them, and they'd be gone. Anyone remember these days? Like the Purple Kayak, right? There's like the Purple Kayak, and everybody needed the Purple Kayak, and so they go in, and then they're gone, and you don't know, are they ever going to return again? Now, they did this by accident, but what happened was, this reputation started to stir, and people began to see things in Costco, and then they would tell their friends, you better get there quick, or it's going to be gone. So... They organized the stores around this. And now, to this day, the perimeter of the store in Costco has all of those staples that keep you coming back, like 1,900 rolls of toilet paper, you know, because, like, who can store all this stuff, by the way? you got a storage shed for your Costco supplies. But then in the middle of the store, they put those things that you're just not sure are they going to be back next time. And they generated our interest and our loyalty by leveraging Our belief in scarcity. In fact, the the owner, the CEO of of Costco said in that interview, he said, we leverage scarcity as a business model. Interesting, isn't it? So scarcity, this idea that we are always thinking there's not enough, actually leads to another phenomenon, actually leads to another word that none of us ever want to be used in description of us. In fact, when I give you this word in just a moment and you hear it, you're going to say, I hope nobody ever calls me this. And that is the word Ungrateful. Scarcity eventually leads to a lack of gratitude because we don't think we have enough. And because of that, we become ungrateful people. Now, um, adults don't ever look at each other and say, you're ungrateful. We've learned to not do that. Hopefully, hopefully as an adult, you've learned to not do that. Don't call other adults ungrateful. Um, but adults do call their children ungrateful from time to time, am I right? In fact, you know what kind of parents call their children ungrateful? The kind of parents who still have not realized that they were ungrateful to their parents, <laughs> right? I remember years ago, uh, several years ago, I was uh, at work one day and I got a phone call from Sherry and she said, hey, um, I'm gonna need you to come home if you can. And I, I was in the middle of a really busy day and I said, you know, I got a few things going, what's going on? And she said, well, um, and I'm just gonna let my, my daughter remain nameless. Um, she said, your, uh, your, your daughter uh, drove the car through the garage door. And... Uh, and so we might need you to come home. In fact, not only did she drive it through the garage door, the, I, I get home, and inside my garage, at that time I had a 1950 Ford F1 truck that I was actually selling later that day. And so um, fortunately the door didn't hit it, but it's stuck inside the garage, so I can't sell the thing. The garage door's on the other car. Everything's just kind of a mangled mess. And, uh, and so I'm just like, what in the world are we going to do? So I go inside the house, and I, I did what every adult does. I called my dad, right? Like... <laughs> My dad lives a few blocks away, and I thought, you know, I'm going to call my dad, and, and he'll know what to do. He'll at least have some ideas. Maybe he can come over and help me. So I called up and I said, Dad, um, Morgan drove the car through the <laughs> drove the car through the garage door, and uh, and and it's stuck now, and I got someone coming to look at the other truck. And I just I start to explain, and I pause, and my dad starts laughing laughing like laughing laughing like he's enjoying this and I'm like dad this is serious and he goes no I've been waiting for this day and I said what do you mean he goes after all the pain and suffering you put me through with your brothers and cars and all the different things he goes I'm just so grateful it's finally happening to you he was dead serious he was into revenge in this moment And he didn't come over to help me. I just, like, you know, stared at the door a little bit longer. So so there's this moment for all of us when suddenly we can become aware that there were certain privileges we had and we didn't realize we had them, right? Ingratitude, a lack of gratitude is actually something that can exist in many of us. But at the same time, I don't think any of us want to be characterized by it. In fact, Pastor and theologian Tim Keller says this. He says, ingratitude is a fundamental rather than superficial sin. It is part and parcel of pride and self centeredness, a deep denial of how dependent we are on God and one another. If we aren't thankful, listen to this, if we aren't thankful, it's because we don't think we owe anyone anything. That one stings just a little bit, doesn't it? So, because none of us want to be described as ungrateful, I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 17. So Luke's in the New Testament. If you're grabbing one of the pew Bibles this morning, you go a little more than halfway through it, you'll find the New Testament, you'll find the Gospel of Luke, we're in chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, if it's not on your iPad or your phone, the words are going to be on the screen as well, and you can follow along there. But I want to unpack a story that I think is going to stir up some gratitude inside of us. I think it's going to make us truly grateful people. Here's what's interesting about this. As I was mulling this over this week and spending time studying it and just meditating on it, Um, I came to the realization that this has been a pretty unpopular passage and I don't know that it's been taught on very much. In fact, I, I, I couldn't think of any single time in the last 25 years when I've ever taught this particular passage out of the book of Luke. And yet at the same time, it holds remarkable influence on people like us in a culture like ours today. And so I just want you to tune in and listen to this and follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 11. It says this, it says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a village. Ten men had leprosy, who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I'm just going to pause here for a moment and point out a couple of things. First of all, it's an interesting detail that Luke says Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. This is an indication that Jesus was intentionally taking a route that kept him away from large populations of people. Jesus was taking a route that allowed him to avoid the crowds. This border area was an area that was a little bit more wilderness, so it was a little more primitive, and there wouldn't be people there that he would have to interact with. So wherever Jesus was going, uh, he, didn't, he wanted to get there quickly, or Jesus, maybe he was an introvert, just needed a break. Introverts, you know what I'm talking about, right? right. So Jesus is traveling in this area, and he's expecting not to run into very many people. And then he runs into the very kind of people that would be found in an area like this. He runs into these ten lepers. Now, let me just explain something. If you're not familiar with uh, ancient Eastern culture, I just want to unpack the significance of what's happening here. Leprosy is a dreaded disease disease at any point in history, but specifically during this time. It was believed by these people that it was highly, highly contagious. So anyone that contracted leprosy, even if you got like some sort of other skin disorder and it resembled leprosy, you were immediately an outcast. They would just basically shove you out of the city. You would be, you'd be removed from your family. You'd be removed from your job, from your trade. You'd be removed from your friends. Even in this particular culture, th- these individuals would be removed from their own spiritual community, the community of faith. That The Jews at this particular time, they believed because of things written in Leviticus that if a person had leprosy, they were ceremonially unclean. And their assumption as a people, their wrong assumption, was that they were unclean because of something that they did. Like there was some sort of private, secret thing that had happened and you have leprosy because you did something, and so they were outcast. In fact, there are some publications written that say that lepers during this time would often carry a bell with them, so that when they were approaching people who were healthy or didn't have leprosy, they would warn them, but just by ringing the bell, that there was an unclean, dirty, outcast person coming near them. So in this border area where Jesus is traveling, it's exactly the kind of place people who have been rejected from culture would find themselves. They've been pushed to the outskirts. They've been pushed to the margins. And Jesus stumbles upon them. And he hears them calling out to them. He hears them calling out to him saying, do something about this. Help us with this. Master, have pity on us. And then in verse 14, he says this. It says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, This this is information that in our day and age doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you start unpacking the historical significance, it's actually a really beautiful thing that Jesus is doing here. Let me just explain this. He's doing three things. First of all, in this culture, if your leprosy cleared up or if whatever skin disorder you had cleared up, and this did happen from time to time, there were specific instructions that you were to take yourself to the priest and show yourself to the priest and he would determine whether or not you were truly clean again and then he would allow you entrance back into the community. And so these priests had studied the book of Leviticus, and they studied all sorts of skin disorders. If you read Leviticus, there's all sorts of weird, gross stuff about skin and disorders and things like this. And so priests were like almost like doctors. And so when Jesus says, I want you to go to the priest, and I want you to meet this individual, what Jesus is doing is he's inviting them into a moment of faith. Why? Because at this point, they have nothing to show the priest, right? At this point, if they show up to the priest, they have leprosy. So Jesus, by saying, go show yourself to the priest, he's actually inviting them to walk by faith. In the same way that he invites us to walk by faith, he's inviting them to walk by faith. And what do I mean when I say that? When we're walking by faith, what we're doing is we're taking God at his his word, and we are doing what God has called us to do, believing that there is a promise that he'll give us what he promised to give us. That's what walking by faith is. Jesus says, Even though you have leprosy in this moment, even though things are very messed up for you, I want you to rise up and I want you to begin to walk in that direction by faith. So he invites them to do this. Secondly, Jesus is offering them healing. The moment they hear this, they not only believe Jesus is inviting them to step out in faith, but they also believe that Jesus is going to heal them because he knows you would never come back to the priest unless you thought you'd been healed. And so they believe Jesus in this moment for healing. And then thirdly, because of the implications of this, He's restoring them back to their community. Once the priest says they're clean, they get to enter back into their old, they they get to go home. They get to go back to their neighborhood. They get to to go back to where things are comfortable. And so, Jesus, at this moment, he's asking for faith, he's offering healing, and he's restoring them in community. That's what he's doing. So so this is what happens. Verse 14, it says, he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priest and then listen to this. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they followed Jesus obediently, as they listened to his voice and then did what he called them to do, their obedience then resulted in their cleansing. They were cleansed. But then here's where the story gets really interesting. Verse 15 says, one of them, When he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now This this is a really interesting detail here, right? Let me just read this again. It says, one of them, when he was healed, came back. One of them. So he got to the priest and he looked at his skin and he went, it's gone. And then and in his extremities, his fingers and his toes, which had probably lost feeling because of the leprosy, suddenly he could feel his fingers and his toes again. He could feel those things. He suddenly realized, I, I've been healed. And, and, he was, and he was instructed, he was given permission to go back home, to go back to his family, maybe his wife and his kids, and back to his job. After this moment of being restored, it says this one, when he saw what had happened to him, he actually went and found Jesus back out in the wilderness area, back out on the border. He came back, and he throws himself at the feet, Of Jesus, and he praises God and thanks Jesus. But it's just him. It's just him. And then Luke offers a really interesting detail that would not be lost on the first hearers of this, the first people that received the the gospel of Luke. Luke gives this detail and says, He was a Samaritan. Now you need to understand. How important this is because the Samaritans hearing this in this story, seeing this in writing, the people that received this would have been shocked by this because Samaritans in Jewish culture were seen as less than. They were marginalized. In fact, many Jews referred to them as dogs. They didn't even refer to them in a human sense. They, they made fun of their ways of worship, even though there was a connection between they and the Jewish people. They were seen as, a, as sort of a subpar community of people. And Luke points out, not only did just one come back to give thanks, but that one that came back was a Samaritan. So this week I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, like, why in the world did Luke include this detail? Why would he leave this in here, there's got to be a reason. He didn't just say one, but he said this one was a Samaritan. As I spent time sort of meditating on this passage and looking for where it applied to me, I just began to ask questions like this one. Could it be that those who should be most given to gratitude, those who have experienced the community of faith, those who have experienced God and his goodness, in this case, those that would have been the Jews, not the Samaritans, could it be that those who are closest to God at one point in life are often the most least or the least likely to respond with gratitude in moments like this? Could that be? I mean, I I sort of worry sometimes, I think about this with myself, are are those of us that have been around this this thing for a while, who have been around the church, or maybe we've seen God's faithfulness multiple times, he's just shown up time and time again in our lives, or he's provided time and time again in our lives, is there a tendency for us, is it easier for us, who have been a part of this longer, to take God for granted? I mean, is is there a part of us that that we can begin to just expect certain things from from God, like because of our faith, because of maybe our past good experiences, coupled with our American, you just need to have what you want and have it now sort of culture, could it be that we not only have expectations, but then maybe we're even the ones that get angry with God when he doesn't meet our expectations. Is that possible? I just found myself wrestling with that this week. Like, is, is that the case like God? Am I sometimes, even though I'm a person of faith, am I actually maybe more given To be ungrateful when somebody who has never known you or has just this beginning to know you might express far more gratitude than I do. Challenging thought. Because that's the definition of ingratitude, not recognizing what God has already done for us. And in that moment, we're forgetting all of those things. Are we forgetting our desperation? Do we forget where we came from? Do we forget that we were outcasts? Do we forget that we were in the wilderness? Do we forget that in a similar way, Jesus at some point asked us to walk by faith and he healed us and he restored us and he he entered us into community? Are we forgetting this for ourselves? I really believe that Luke is including this detail because it's for people like me. It might be for, for some of you. I'm not assuming everybody's in this camp. But it's just this idea that because people of faith then are like people of faith today, we might have a tendency to slip towards ingratitude. So what happens? This is how the story ends. Jesus looks at this man who's praising and worshiping God, and he says, we're not all ten cleansed? Like, did I miss something? Did one of you guys not make it? I mean, were you the only one? <laughs> did I mess up? Did it not work? Right? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Foreigner. And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's like Jesus is saying, there's something wrong here, right? I mean, there's like nobody, you guys didn't, like you came back. Where is everybody else? Where are the other nine? And Jesus is pointing out something that I think we need to stop and take a look at. And I want to just, I want us to see something unusual in this story. And this is it. You know that none of us would assume that this is a story about ingratitude if it weren't for the one who returned. He ruined it for everybody else. You realize that, Right. Because everybody else in the story does what everybody else does in almost every other story of Jesus working, right? I mean, time and time again, you read the Gospels and people get healed from their blindness. They're they're healed from some sort of other ailment that they have. And what we read is that they just sort of go back into their life. They just enter back in. They run back to their homes, back to their communities. They announce to people what Jesus did. But very rarely do we ever see people coming back to Jesus and thanking him. So this guy, thank you very much, ruined it for the rest of them, right? Right. But can you blame these individuals, these other nine individuals, can you blame them for not coming back? I mean, think about it for a moment. Just identify with it. They were, they were living a life that failed to meet their expectations, to say the least, right? I mean, they, they've been isolated. They probably haven't been hugged or touched by another human being. They've not seen their families. They haven't sat with their kids on the lap and, and read them a story. They haven't had any of these experiences. And, and then suddenly they get healed. They go to the priest, and the priest looks at them and goes, You're good. I don't blame them for running out of the temple back into their neighborhood. Because if it were me, I would have probably done the same thing. I just would have run back and saying, like, this is amazing. I get to go back, right? But meanwhile, Jesus is saying, weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? And I think his question reveals something that we need to hear in our culture today especially as it relates to gratitude. I think there's a connection that gets lost here. I think there's a loop that doesn't get closed here in this text. And Jesus is revealing the importance of expressing our gratitude. Not just feeling gratitude, but actually expressing our gratitude. Because a lot of us, we've forgotten where we've come from. A lot of us have forgotten what it was like back then. A lot of us have, have lost track of, of what we've actually received from God and what it is we think we have worked for. Many of us live in a place today where we go, well, I've kind of earned this, I've kind of worked for this, I've, I've dedicated this, I've, I've, I've done all of these different things. But let me, just, let me just ask you a question. If this story were a story about us, and you were one of the characters in the story, which one are you? You're not Jesus, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> In this particular place, you're not Jesus, right? I mean, you look at the story. Where do we fall in our culture? Well, where do we fall as human beings? We're the lepers. We're the lepers, aren't we? I mean, this, this very physical, very real representation is actually also a metaphor of the spiritual reality that many of us in this room have walked through ourselves, right? We were outcasts. We were separated from the life that God had created us for. We were pushed to the margins, and we were desperate. And there was no way that we could ever do anything about our condition. We were helpless to this, right? And then Jesus, he invites us to walk by faith, and we do. And when we walk in faith, we get healed, and we get restored, and we get renewed, and we enter into community, and we find purpose and meaning in our life. And then at some point because of all the times that God has been faithful, because of the cultural blueprint that's been laid over our lives, for all of these different reasons, we come to expect certain things to go a certain way, and we forget where we came from. Weren't there 10, Jesus says? Where are the other nine? I love this quote. G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, when it comes to life... The critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. I want to take things with gratitude. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Right? It's a pretty critical thing. I don't think I want to be one of the nine. Anyone else with me on this? I think I want to be the one. Like, I'd rather be that guy right there with Jesus going, where's everybody else? I don't know. I don't know, Jesus. I'm here with you. I came back, right? That's who I want to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich love that right because our culture says life becomes rich when you are rich but jesus says no 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 life becomes rich when you are grateful when you express gratitude i want us to live rich lives amen anybody else want to experience this kind of richness right so 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 here's here's what i assume and this isn't in the text but here's what i assume i assume that if somehow we could go back in time and we could get into this text and we could track down those other nine individuals. We could go find them and they're in their, their shop working or they're with their kids hanging out. They're at a family barbecue. If we could find the other nine and we could just look them in the eyes and say, hey, wait a second. You didn't go back and think, Jesus, are you not grateful for what happened? Are you not grateful for what he did? This is my guess. I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt. My guess is they would say, are you kidding me? I'm so grateful. I'm grateful? Why would you say I'm not grateful? Like, I got my life back and my family and my job and, you know, just community. All of it was delivered back to me. Of course I'm grateful. I, I really believe that they would say that, but I also believe they missed out on closing the loop of gratitude that Jesus is revealing, and that is expressing thankfulness for his provision. They missed out on the opportunity to express this. So, so today I want to close the service by us doing something a little bit different. And uh, I told the last service, I said, I feel like I can try new stuff because you can't fire me yet.
1: <laughs> right? I mean, there's like
0: a, a honeymoon period we got going right now. So I want to do something a little bit different. And, um, and And I want us to close by just taking some time to be grateful for some various ways that God has provided for us. Um, You know, when we say thank you, it requires something of us. In order for me to say thank you to another person, it means I'm acknowledging that you did something that I I didn't do for myself. I'm acknowledging a humility. There's a submission that whenever we say thank you to somebody and we receive from them, there is a sort of a reordering in our lives. Are you with me on this? And I want us to take some time today, and I want us just to be thankful. I want to say thank you and express gratitude for some basic things. And so I'm going to talk about them, and then I'm going to give us an opportunity in this moment just to pause and express genuine gratitude to God. That way, if we don't do it the rest of the week, we can at least check the box and say we did it here, right? But I mean that. I don't want us to walk out of here and say, well, we talked about gratitude, but we actually didn't enter into that space. So I want us to enter into it. So here's a few things to be grateful for. First of all, that God provides our basic needs. God provides our basic needs, which I have to remind myself all the time, there's a difference between my wants and my needs, right? In fact, my kids, over the years, they come to me, and this is a line that only a dad can deliver. When kids say something like, hey, dad, I need, and they explain what they need, I oftentimes will say something like, need right? There's just, that's all you have to say as a dad, need. (laughs) And then they say, want. (laughs) This doesn't say that God provides all of our wants, but doesn't God provide all of our needs? He provides our needs. In fact, oftentimes the Bible uses agricultural references or imagery to describe God's provision, like rains that fall predictably on crops like sunshine that that shines on fields of flowers, there is this predictability and consistency of God's provision. God has provided your basic needs. So far, I haven't seen anybody in any service that didn't come with clothes on their back today. Thankfully, by the way. But we all have clothes, right? We all made it here today. Basic needs have been met. And so would you just sort of maybe drop your head for a moment, just take a moment, and will you pause and just Thank God for meeting your basic needs. Just acknowledge, say, God, you've met some of my most fundamental needs. I just thank you. The next one is this. That God provides circumstances and situations that shape our lives. Uh, I was talking to a friend this week and he was describing a Saturday that he had where he had very specific plans for his Saturday and almost immediately in the morning uh, there was a wrench thrown in him and his entire day was different. And he was just telling me this whole story about all these different things that happened. And he said, at the end of the day, I look back and I realized that, that it had spurred intimacy with God and a connection with somebody else that he knew was absolutely necessary. And it was, never would have happened had he not been interrupted by what, what was happening in his circumstances. Have you ever had that? You ever, has anybody ever ended a day and it, 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 nothing went the way you expected and you were actually grateful for that? Has that ever happened to anybody? Where you go, you know what, I'm, I never saw that coming, but I'm really glad that it went that way. The Lord does that for us. God actually provides circumstances and situations that shape our lives. Sometimes those circumstances reveal something in our character that needs to be worked on and changed. Sometimes those circumstances reveal someone that needs to be focused on or or maybe a relationship that needs to be emphasized. Sometimes it's just a circumstance that allows us to be alone with God and spend time in conversation with him. But regardless, God has done things in our lives, and some of us know very specific things where he has shaped the circumstance and situation, and he's done that for our sake. Can we just pause right now? Would you just kind of drop your head for a moment? And can we thank God for providing circumstances and situations, things that happened, some of them good and challenging, some of them hard and challenging, but can we thank him for those things? next one is this, that God provides people who intersect with our lives in critical moments. Uh, When I I was like a freshman or sophomore in college, there's this individual that met met me. His name was Brad, ironically, so Brad and Brad, And, uh, and, and, and I met him, and he had become a Jesus follower not much before the moment that we met, and Um, or the time that we met. And when he saw me, he's this like entrepreneurial guy. He saw some things in me that reminded him of himself. And so he came to me and he said one day, he said, you know, would you like to meet me for coffee? I'd like to meet with you for coffee every Tuesday morning at 530. And as, as like a college freshman, sophomore, there was this thing inside of me that I was just like, no, I don't want to meet anyone at 5.30 in the morning, right? Like, nobody wants to do this. And for some reason, out of my mouth, I just said, yeah, that'd be great, you know? And then, like, the the first time it happened, I was like, what was I thinking? Why did I do this? But for the next year and a half or so, I met with, his name was Brad, I met with him at this little specific coffee shop. We met there together, and he would just tell me story after story and give me these little pieces of advice, and for whatever reason, the way he told a story or the way he used an example, it was like the thing that would penetrate my thick skull and show me how I needed to change. And his stories and his life became like the hands of a potter on me, and they just started shaping some new things. In fact, I've often said that that the people in my life, many people in my life, have served like the hands of a potter, and they have shaped me and molded me in these different times. We need to sometimes stop and be thankful for those people. And so I just want to take this moment, and would you just be thankful now? Could we just bow for a moment? And is, is, are there some people right now that, you just, that come to mind and you go, man, Lord, thank you for that person who intersected my life in that critical moment. And then these last two are deeply connected with each other. In fact, they're they're essentially the same idea. That God provides rest and relief from our striving and our earning. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but um, we live in a world that's constantly asking us to work harder and harder. Anyone else noticing this? More hours, longer hours, more expectations more paperwork to fill out. Like, everything's just getting, just seems to be pressing us. Uh, for, a, for a small season of my life, I worked a job. I was a financial advisor, and I had 100% commission income. Anybody else ever had a 100% commission job? I, I feel for you. Because there's a striving, there's an earning, there's this thing inside of us that you just, you have to keep moving, have to keep going, have to be doing these things. Jesus is delivering us from striving and earning all the time. In fact, there's one particular passage I love, and I go to this all the time when I sort of feel like, you know, there's like, what are we going to do, and how are we going to make it? You just have those provision questions, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was speaking, and he said this, and just listen as I I read it. He says, therefore I tell you, and just receive this this morning. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. There's something powerful about hearing God's faithful provision. Isn't there something about that, like, just hearing that, he sees us, he's providing for us, and he's, he's delivering us from the striving. In fact, this is the final thing I just want to remind us of, and, and, and I want us to be grateful, and this is going to be sound really strange, but I want us to be grateful for the gospel, because the gospel is God's ultimate provision for us, in that it liberates us from the bondage of believing that we are our sole provider, The gospel tells a story about us. It tells a story about our lives that says you are not having to strive or earn ever again. That's the beauty of the gospel. When we think about the gospel in these terms, when we realize that we were so broken that somebody had to die for us, and yet we are so loved that somebody actually did, that changes us. When we realize what has been done for us, that changes us. And so the gospel is the most fundamental basic stimulus for gratitude because the gospel demands that we admit, you know what, I couldn't have done this on my own. I was in the wilderness. I was out there wandering. I wasn't living the life I was created for. And yet somebody did something on my behalf that I never could have done to draw me into this particular place. The gospel tells you and I, you didn't get what you deserved. Thankfully, because God came through and gave you far beyond what you ever expected. That's what the gospel says to us. There is no earning, there is no deserving, just provision in the gospel. Amen? Amen. So I want to just close by us thanking God for the reality of the gospel and the umbrella of peace that it puts over our lives. So would you just stand with me? And I want us to pray together. In just a moment, the band's going to come out and we're going to close in worship. But I just want to thank God for the gospel and for his provision. Lord, this morning in this place, we have paused to acknowledge that there have been circumstances that you have shaped. There have been people that you have brought into our lives. There has been food on our tables and, and clothes on our backs that it's all been completely from you. Um, you worked beyond whatever we could ever imagine. You've made provision possible for us. But Lord, as we stand here in this moment right now, our greatest gratitude is expressed towards the beauty of the gospel. When we look to the cross, Lord, what we see is the greatest statement that there's nothing we could earn, there's nothing we could deserve, there's no amount of good behavior, there's no rules or regulations we could have ever obeyed, to get what we have received through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. I pray this morning that for those of us that struggle with striving, who are wrestling with just resting in what you've given us, Lord, I pray that we would just see the beauty of the gospel and that we would find ourselves enamored with and caught up with your grace and your mercy and your love, and that our lives would just simply flow out of that, expressing thanksgiving, towards you. Lord, we want to be the one who comes back and thanks you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to offer the benediction and then uh, our prayer team will be down front. If you want somebody to pray with you, if, if you want to ask questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus, they're here to help you with that. And as you go into this week, may you be men and women who see yourselves as the leper Not one of the nine, but the one who comes back. May you be aware of all the places and all the ways that God has provided for you. May you see his provision and may genuine gratitude stir in your heart. And may you be a grateful person. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have an amazing week this week. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you guys next Sunday. See you later.